Welcome into the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Brandon Piller, and I'm joined by Chris Parliament for today's episode. The Senators, they can't weather the storm against the Tampa Bay Lightning and lose a tough one in overtime in front of the dads. Shabbat, well, he's an absolute warrior staying on the ice for pretty much this whole game, putting the team on his shoulders. And Belleville is up against a divisional rival in the Utica Comets tonight. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Hello, Sens fans, and welcome to the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Brandon Piller. Today I've got Chris Parliament with me all the way up in beautiful Woodstock, Woodstock Ontario. Parley, how you doing today, buddy? Uh, another tough road loss last night, but uh, I'm sure I'm feeling a little bit better than Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, that man, what an absolute warrior. To be on the ice for, I think he finished with, they changed it uh, after the game, 37 minutes and 56 seconds as a defenseman. And let's not forget, this is the second game of a back-to-back. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it, it's a quick, like a quick turnaround. And for it, him to be able to do that after playing a lot of minutes the night before as well in a losing effort, it'd be so tough to get your feet back underneath you and keep going. But I mean, that's why Thomas Shabbat got paid this summer, right? That's the guy you expect him to be. He's your number one far and away. But I mean, you look at the numbers and I get it. You're kind of playing by committee and it's a tough game and you got to do what you got to do. But when you look down and you see 37 minutes played for Thomas Shabbat and then seven and a half for Andreas Englund, it's like, uh, it's a little bit hard to fathom at that point. I get it. You're in a good game against a division rival. You don't want to see them get any more points than they should against you. But, I mean, for him to play seven minutes, Cody Golubev only played ten. It's it's kind of mind-boggling to look at the number and see such a jarringly big number in a game that wrapped up in a five-minute overtime. Yeah, and we'll get uh, we'll get back to Shabbat and the decor in our second segment. But for now, we'll just start with breaking down this game. And Parley... That was a rough start for the Senators. I mean, Tampa came out of the gates flying. You could tell that this was a back-to-back game for the Senators. But you would think, especially the dad's trip, you're in Florida. You just got absolutely spanked by the Florida Panthers the night before. You'd think you'd start the game coming out hot. But Tampa had 17 shot attempts to Ottawa's one. Uh, I think that was halfway through the first period. And then a little momentum shift. As the offensive uh, firepower of Boro kicked in, and his goal, I thought at least, gave them new life and really uh, swing momentum around, eh? Yeah, for sure. You get a guy like Borokov in there, and the team must love him, right? And he's just such a good room guy. And a young team, I feel like, can flick on a switch like that, kind of the short memory type team. And once you get a goal like that, you start to settle in a little bit more. But going back to what you said about Tampa starting off hot, I think it goes back to what Ross and I were talking about yesterday on the show and how this is kind of a desperation game for them because they're not at all where they want to be sitting heading into the Christmas break. So I called it kind of a must win for them on the show yesterday, just in the fact that Marcus Hogberg is still looking for his first NHL win. You got a team coming off of a back-to-back where they got absolutely smacked by your geographical uh, rival 
and then they're coming in and they're struggling. They're a young team. This is a game where Tampa has to look around the room and say, hey, we got to jump on this one. This is one we have to have because late in the season, if they're still around this pack, middle of the pack type of thing, and they're putting on a push, these are games you circle on the calendar say, hey, we let that one get away. So I think that's why we saw those shot, those shot totals get so big. And uh, Nikita Kucherov, it's a little scary for the NHL if he gets going. Well, and you talk about Kucherov getting going, and he was the guy who started the offense uh, mm-hmm. for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, that first goal, it's not a great one for Hogberg. It's its a tough scramble in front. There's players all over the crease in the blue paint. He loses his stick in the mayhem, and I think he thought the puck was cleared. Uh, so he quickly, just instinctly, as any goalie would, you can't really blame him too much, but he starts searching around for his lost stick, and then... Within a second, Kucherov knocked that puck down and just fired it on net. But that's where I feel like that's a bit of Hogberg's inexperience showing. Because sure, as a goalie, you need your stick. And it's it's like an extension of your arm, really. It's really important for your positioning, your balance, covering your five hole, etc. But if he's not spending that split second searching for that stick, I bet he stops that puck because... Kucherov didn't even have time to aim it. He just whipped it on net as soon as he could. And he pretty much shot it right at Hogberg, but Hogberg wasn't in a good position to make that save. So that started the goal, uh, the game as the first goal. But Kucherov, he may have started the game, but he sure as heck didn't end the game, eh? Yeah, you're right, Pilsy. And this is a guy, again, we talked about it on the show yesterday, where Tampa's in a little bit of a slide right now. They only had six goals in their last four games. This guy was the Hart Trophy winner, or sorry, not the Hart Trophy winner, the Art Ross Trophy winner last year. Unbelievable player. And then this year, he's only got, well, now 11 goals on the season. You're expecting so much more. And he's the type of guy where, you know what, if he doesn't get the points going, he's not the greatest 200-foot player in the league as well. So, I mean, if he's not scoring in a tight game like this, it's it's kind of a bold move to sit him down, but... It's what needs to be done sometimes. Yeah, well, Parley, looking at his uh, time on ice, and you mentioned some of the accolades that Kucherov has uh, really came into his own last season and is arguably on a team with so much talent in Tampa Bay. He's arguably their best player. And he only played 13 minutes of uh, time on ice. That's 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 like a third of what Shabbat played. And he's uh, he's one of the best players in the league. His last shift... Uh, came in the third period. He only had one shift in the third period, and then Cooper sat him on the bench for the rest of the game. So you got to kind of scratch your head at those moments because, like you said, this is a desperate Tampa Bay team. They can't be losing home games to the Ottawa Senators on the second night of a back-to-back where uh, basically your third-string goalie and Marcus Hogberg is starting, and he doesn't even have an NHL win. And this game goes all the way to overtime, and they almost didn't even... uh, end the game in overtime. I think there was like 17 or 19 seconds left when uh, Sorelli scored that last goal. And what a crazy overtime uh, frame though, eh? Absolutely. And it kind of capped off by a crazy overtime goal with a guy sliding into the crease and taking out the goaltender. I mean, the official ruling on that is so wishy-washy. It's hard to almost put a fingertip on that. And we talked about it a little bit off air, especially for a young goaltender that's kind of the fight or flight moment. Am I staying in the crease and am I making the save when a guy's coming full speed at me and sliding towards me? There's so much gray area and things like that. And I mean, tell an NHL fan to define what goaltender interference is in the past five years, and you're going to get a million different answers. So it's just, it's hard for 
a young goaltender like that to be able to kind of stand up and make a play and try and keep the puck out on the net there. I thought Anthony Sorelli didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you fall, you fall. He, he did a good job of getting the puck on net and up, like elevating the puck before making contact. So I have no problem with the goal. And um, I think, unfortunately for Sanders fans, it was called the right way. Just tough to see for a young goaltender like Marcus Hogward. Yeah, and it was tough too because I I hopped in, I uh, put some money on the Ottawa Senators when it was a 3-3 game and uh, they got that four-minute uh, power play from the high sticking, which also was a weird one because Shabbat got high sticked right in the face, right in front of the ref. He was leaking all over the ice. They, he had to get some work done on the bench. And then they don't call that. And then just a couple moments later, I think it was Nick Paul gets high sticked in the face and he's bleeding too on the same play. And that one finally gets called. But the Sens, worst power play in the league. They can't take advantage of that four minute power play late. And then going back to that overtime frame, Man, what an absolutely perfect opportunity for Jean-Gabriel Pajot on the breakaway. He had that whole the whole second half of the ice all to himself. No one there at all, but he can't beat Vasilevsky on the breakaway. And then going back to that goal uh, that we talked about from Sorelli, I tend to agree with you. I don't blame Sorelli at all for what happened there. He's going as fast as he can, and he's just got his uh, mind on the puck. And he did do, I thought, like you said, a good job trying to avoid Marcus Hogberg and not uh, cause any injury there. So good for that. But I think the problem with that overtime goal for the Sens, it was a bad line change by Declare. He hopped off at a bad time, but... Not to get too hard on Shabbat, a guy who played nearly 38 minutes, but he he tried to split the D and even the uh, the forward there. He tried to go through three different guys, ends up getting broken up, and then that sends Sorelli on the break because Nick Paul can't really hold him off. He's not as fast uh, fleet of foot as Sorelli is and didn't quite get the pivot at the right time. So that's a tough one for the Sens. And uh you hate to in a rebuilding year when you lose the game and you uh, end up getting that point. It's kind of a weird uh, position to sit. Yeah, you hate to see him go, but you love to watch him leave type of games where it's like, you know what? It was a good effort. A guy like Thomas Shabbat showed he can be the future number one uh, again and again. He's shown that. But last night was kind of the exclamation mark saying like, hey, I can do this sort of thing. And then, yeah, you get moments where you've got a young goaltender coming up and standing in front of a juggernaut offense and putting together a pretty good 60-plus minutes in net. You're right. It's kind of a game where, you know, you don't want to see – you go into a divisional building after losing a tough one on the road. You want to come out with a win. But you know what? As Sens fans know this year, when one thing doesn't work out, there's another open door right there. And with two first-rounders this year instead of none, like, well, one late one last year – it's uh, it's a little bit different this year. So, yeah, it's a little bit bittersweet, but, hey, it's it's a rebuild. And speaking of uh, Shabbat and uh, just how much ice time he had to play, a lot of that, it stems down to what's going on with the rest of this decor. And the decor, they're struggling right now because of injuries, and that's causing uh, problems all over the organization, uh, all the way from Belleville, all the way up top, but... When you're in a position like Ottawa, who you don't have a lot of competent uh, D-men playing right now because of injuries, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Thomas Shabbat, and it's going to put pressure on some other guys on that back end. And we, or at least I saw some improvement from uh, Eric Brandstrom in this game. He's looked a lot better, but then some difficult times for some other defensemen like we mentioned in uh, Golubev and England. 
and yeah, you you look at a guy like Eric Brandstrom, and we talked about it a little bit on the show yesterday. He went down and he was able to score a big goal against the Marlies, and that's a confidence boost. And then he comes back up, and it's kind of good good vibes around the room right now with the dad's trip and he's kind of welcome back in. He knows the guys, you know, he went down there, played with some other guys, he knows, got some confidence maybe, but yeah, last night, 18 minutes and 12 seconds is the time he finished with. So in a game where, yeah, you leaned on a guy like Thomas Shabbat, Eric Brandstrom, I think, I mean, without looking off the top of my head, that number seems like that's a career high for Eric Brandstrom in minutes. So, I mean, it's interesting to see, uh, the one number that kind of jumps out at me, if we're going to talk about the defense last night, is Borbietsky only played 18-18 last night. In a night where you're working guys so heavily, it kind of is a little bit of a head-scratcher where you got your, your kind of your tough guy, your your go-to guy, no matter what, he's going to be there for you, and you only play him for 18 minutes. It's, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. Definitely, and especially when England and Golubov uh, were really struggling. You want to get your guys like uh, Boro... Uh, Hainsey, Shabbat, the guys that have been here all year and doing well, you want to get them the extra ice time. But how much is too much? I mean, is it sustainable for a guy like Thomas Shabbat to play nearly 38 minutes? I think the final was uh, 37 minutes and 56 seconds, which was nine seconds away from the all-time record set by Dennis Weidman five years ago. He played 38 minutes and five seconds is it sustainable to have a guy like Shabbat playing that much? And his D partner, Shabbat played 11 minutes more than his D partner, Ron Hainsey. You, like, can this guy keep supporting the team and log all these minutes? Uh, and we're talking about a game in December, the second half of a back-to-back, when you're up against a team that has way more firepower than you. And it's, it's a rebuilding season. How much can DJ Smith put on this guy? Man, that's a good question there, Pillsy. But I got a question for you too. And is that is, are you ready for Christmas? And if not, and if you're looking for a last minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. We talked yesterday on the show, Ross did, about maybe getting an Eric Carlson saucer pass to Mike Hoffman t-shirt. That's full of passion. That's a passion moment. And it's great for all fans. So go to breakingtea.com slash locked on and feel free to search the rest of the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts pilsy back to your question is it sustainable absolutely not no way can you allow a guy to go out there and trot around especially depend on him so heavily throughout the season 37 56 it's an impressive number it's one of those things where we'll look back on it 10 years and say wow remember that night but no you can't keep doing that yeah, it's it's just too much. And I mean, Thomas Shabbat, he's shown that he can handle the ice time. But when you're looking at that's like he's only a minute or two away from playing two entire periods on the ice. Like that is just insane. So someone's going to have to step up. But with the injury problems, especially Ross and I talked how serious that Dylan DeMello injury is because that really sets this decor back. You can't have guys like Golubov and England playing on a nightly basis, especially when they kind of are liabilities out there and then you end up playing them only seven or eight minutes a game. So the Sens are kind of in a bind here. I mean, they've had some guys on PTOs in Belleville, brought some guys up from uh, the East Coast League, the Brampton Beast. But that's not going to cut it uh, throughout the rest of the season. 
do the Sens need to at least start thinking about adding a veteran bottom pair defenseman? Or is this just a rebuild season and just take it as it goes and don't give up any assets? Well, Twitter certainly seems to have an answer today. And Mark Mathot changing his Twitter profile picture back to when he was with the Sens. And that, of course, erupts the internet. But he said he's not ready. He's not coming back. So we can put a little bit of water on that fire for right now. Keep our fingers crossed as I stay the optimist around the holiday season. But it depends. When I go to answer that question, should the Sens start to go looking, it depends on what you define as a guy they should go get. Because... Are you thinking, go get another Justin Falk like they did a couple of years ago and just have a placeholder, a guy that's played a couple games in the show, he's a big body, he can give you maybe 12 minutes a night and give a little bit of a break to guys instead of the seven minutes, and then you can allow guys like Andres England to go back down and play regular minutes and help out Belleville? Or do you try and go out and get somebody via a trade? It's a tough situation because you don't really know what people want. So right now, I think the Senators are kind of just in that mode where I guess dominoes start to fall around the league and you maybe get a gauge on what teams are looking for and what the market's set at. But giving up anything that resembles a future in Ottawa right now for a placeholder on defense on a year like this, that is a very tough pill to swallow and a very tough sell job by Pierre Dorian to a fan base that has been told the future is our strong point and the future is what we're building towards, I can't see him giving up anything that resembles a future for a placeholder defenseman. I agree with you there, Parley. And especially, I think uh, the the idea or the notion of giving up assets to acquire said placeholder defenseman should absolutely be out of the question. I think, uh, if anything... You need to keep all your assets. And I mean, this seems kind of funny in hindsight's 2020, but look at the Nemestikov trade, right? You sent a fourth round pick and uh, an AHL defenseman in Ebert over. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Seems like the Sens won that trade. But how much could they use that AHL defenseman right now? He would be a guy that could slot in and at least, if not play a top pair uh, minutes in Belleville to alleviate some of the pressure there or be a guy that gets called up to play in the NHL for a game or two. So obviously Nemestikov's a great player and I'm sure they'll flip him for something more valuable at the deadline, which is great, but it's just funny that the the one asset they gave up is what they could really use right now. And this is kind of a opportunity. It's similar to the goalie situation where it's unfortunate that Andy's out, but you're getting to see uh, what guys can do when they're put in elevated positions. Guys like Joey Decord, who was supposed to spend most of the season in Brampton, has been uh, really good for Belleville with two wins and two starts. Uh, Marcus Hogberg, another goalie who's getting a chance because of this, looked fantastic tonight, or last night rather. Even though he didn't get the win, he's looked really good in the games he's played this season. So this is a chance where Pierre Dorian can say, all right, we've had a guy in Andreas Anglin kicking around for a long time he hasn't really shown us much but this is a chance for him to get some time in the nhl let's see what he can do and it's kind of a make or break uh, point and unfortunately for england he's looking like it's the breaking point and i don't see a reason why the senators would look much farther in england's future because if you're not able to get called up and play those minutes in the nhl at a competent level you're not much use for the organization anymore, unfortunately. So I think it's kind of a, you got to have some silver linings looking at this. We're getting a chance to see what other guys can do in different situations, but it's not working out so great, but that's okay because this is a rebuilding season.
You're right. And just to throw in a couple little more things in there that are kind of confusing me at this point, especially with the the defense kind of in the scramble mode that it is. Uh, two names to throw at you, and wouldn't mind getting your opinion on it real quick, because it's kind of a head-scratcher for me. Maxime Lejoie, scratch last night. And Christian Yarosh, still in Belleville. Uh, two names that you'd think, because they played time in the NHL last year, maybe not gelling in a DJ Smith situation. I'm just wondering what uh, maybe your your thinking is on what DJ Smith is uh, is trying to do here with those two players. Yeah, and it's tough to say. Uh, with Yarosh, I'm not I'm not really sure the situation there. Uh, with Lajoie, though, I think it's just a matter of DJ Smith has seen him in a couple games and hasn't liked what he saw. Um, I think that's a big reason why we saw Andreas England get called up. England was doing a fairly steady job, I thought, in the few games he did play in Belleville. So I think uh, organizationally, they decided to give him a chance. And like I said, let's see what he can do in this position because Lajoie didn't uh, have a good showing when he played a couple games up here. So I guess... I guess the problem is they're just working with what they got and you kind of plug guys in when you can. But my guess is we'll see Max Lejoie get another chance here and England will go up to the press box, maybe even Thursday night to just to kind of get some new blood in the lineup. But yeah, it's, it's tough for the Sens decor. That's for sure. Certainly though, you have to think a guy like Max Lejoie would be better suited against Utica tonight playing big minutes instead of up in the press box. Absolutely. And especially because, partly this is a big game for the Belleville Senators. Uh, they play, as you mentioned, the Utica Comets division rival. That's Vancouver's farm team in the AHL. They play them tonight and they're tied with 33 points in the standings right now. Luckily, Belleville has two games in hand, so they can make a big push. But this is such a crucial game because, as you know, in the AHL, the top four teams in each division make uh, the playoffs. So the division rival games are really, really important. I would love to be in the building tonight. I know you two are heading to Belleville to work the game, heading down to Bell Vegas. What happens there stays there. But uh, hopefully you bring back some good news with you, break the rule a little bit. But it's tonight and then a game against the Marlies again. So these are huge points to be grabbing right now. If you're not already, this Belleville team is very fun to follow. It has so much of the future of the organization in it. And right now would be a great time to hop on the band Wagon that Belleville is. Yeah, and speaking of wagons, you could say the Utica Comets are a wagon in their own right. At the top of the AHL uh, points leaders, your boy, Drake Batherson, leads the entire league. Ho-hum, not a big deal with 34 points in 25 games. But right behind him. Utica Comets, Reed Boucher with 33 points, just one uh, less point, but he's played two less games. So this Utica team, they've got a lot of offensive firepower. And just looking through their their team stats here, not only do you have Boucher, but you've got uh, Goldobin, Sven Berchi, uh, and our old friend Francis Perron, who uh, went to San Jose in that Eric Carlson deal. He finds himself in Utica now. And then even with Thatcher Demko... Uh, evolving uh, into an NHL goalie, they still have good quality goaltending in Utica and Mike DiPietro and Zane McIntyre. So this is not an easy game by any stretch, and especially with uh, a lot of Belleville's decor playing up in Ottawa, this is a game that they could really struggle in and they need to have their best stuff. 
That sounds like when you were reading off those names there, though, all I could think was Kaching, Kaching, Kaching. Because I'm pretty sure Sven Barchi's making over two million playing yep. down there in Utica. Some of those guys are making some pretty good money. I think Nikolai Goldobin's up over a sheet, a million dollars as well. But yeah, you you mentioned guys like Thatcher Demko, like that. Those two guys behind him in the organization, that's not, nothing to shake a stick at. Like Those guys are talented players. I remember watching uh, Mike DiPietro in a couple games in the OHL around here, and he stood on his head. He was so athletic, and I love watching a little bit smaller stature goalies. I'm sure people remember him on Team Canada as well. But heading back to Belleville, something to keep an eye on if you're hopping on the wagon. Rudy Balsers is still riding that franchise-leading 12-game point streak, so something really exciting there for that unbelievable line of Norris Batherson and Balsers. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. My guy Rudy just keeps on chugging along. I can't wait till we see him back in Ottawa Center's jersey. He He's one of my favorite prospects, and he just seems to collect points wherever he goes. So speaking of the matchup against Utica, just looking at uh, the 12 previous contests they've had over the last two seasons, Sens are 7-5 and five all-time against the Comets. But luckily, Belleville's 5-1 and one at home against Utica. So should be a good one. Hopefully uh, Belleville can keep the wagon rolling. Uh, what else you got for today, Parley? Just real quick before we wrap up the show, uh, kind of started talking about it a little bit earlier in the show. The dominoes are starting to fall. We're starting to see some moves around the NHL. Yesterday, I'm going to call it a blockbuster because that's a really big deal, especially for that team out in Arizona. Uh, I guess it wasn't yesterday the deal went through, but I mean, depending on when you listen to this show, we'll call it yesterday. (laughs) Taylor Hall in Arizona does not waste any time. A little chip and chase play, and then you see those heart trophy winning feet get to work. Blows by Brandon Dillon, who for a big defenseman can skate. Beats him to the puck, comes around the net, finds Oliver Ekman-Larsen out front, who tees it up. Game winner. Thank you very much. Taylor Hall, Arizona Coyote. That team is very, very good. Yeah, I I was stoked to see Hall go to the Coyotes because there was rumors he was, uh, his name was attached to teams like Colorado, Calgary, St. Louis. But I feel like those teams already have their guy, you know, like they have a closer. If you're in Colorado, you've got, geez, you've got tons of them. You've got McKinnon, Landeskog, uh, Kale McCarr, just so much talent already there. In Calgary, you've got Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk. In St. Louis, you've got Riley, Shen, Tarasenko. So they, they already have those guys, whereas Arizona needed someone who they can turn to when they needed uh, uh, a quick goal. They thought they had it in Kessel, but he hasn't played that great. Maybe Taylor Hall acquisition will help Kessel's game as well. So I think that's a great trade for Arizona. I don't think they're going to be able to lock him up. That's a team that's tight against the cap, so they're going to, Cheka's going to have to make some maneuvers happen in order to lock them up but as a rental for this year they're one of the best teams in the pacific division why not go all in if you're the coyotes this is the best uh promising season you've had in gotta be almost a decade when they went to the conference finals when biz nasty still played for them yeah you're absolutely right this team i think they're going to be really good uh they got a couple guys there that people don't really know when you mention their name but if they didn't play in Arizona, they'd be they'd be pretty big names. Uh, Connor Garland comes to mind for me. Uh, Christian Dvorak played really well for that London Knights squad. So yeah, yeah, that team's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yep. And speaking of fun to watch, the Ottawa Senators up next. They play Matt Duchesne and the Nashville Predators. Hopefully, he'll send uh, them home singing the blues. Matt Duchesne, you know he loves his country music. Hopefully, it's a sad one on the way out. But that's all for today's episode. 
I'm Brandon Pillar for Chris Parliament. We'd like to say thanks for listening. You can find us at Sense Central on Twitter and download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to listen to more of the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.